It's been a marathon, right? We're on week five, and who, you know, I mean, I, I, some part of me thinks that maybe it was divine, you know, synchronicity that they chose the month with five weeks for vulnerability. And then the other part of me knows the, the person who wrote the, uh, the, the whole curriculum for this, this month, and I'm like, oh, no, no, that was deliberate. <laughs> so I hope you've been hanging in there with vulnerability, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to own up to, I'm feeling a little bit vulnerable giving this talk right now, because after four weeks of talks about vulnerability, well, what more could I possibly say that everyone else hasn't said before me. So I'm going to try my best and um, share my process of how I get into relationship with this concept of vulnerability. And as I was thinking through this, and I, you know, I have a very logical mind, you know, I like go from point A to point B to point C. And I was thinking about vulnerability and all of a sudden it popped up in my mind, oh, my dating life. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> because what could be more vulnerable than going out and meeting some totally random stranger for the very first time and then sharing yourself? And I thought back to how I dated when I was younger. Not that much younger because I'm still learning. <laughs> but when I was younger, I would sometimes be a bit over-disclosing on my dates. Anybody ever, any over-disclosers here? Yeah, okay, cool. We got to stick together, y'all. <laughs> and even on a first date, I would be over-disclosing, and I would be doing this, but in the back of my mind, I would notice there was this little voice. And it sounded like this. Slow down, Russ. <laughs> Do they really need to know this about you just yet? <laughs> Sometimes it sounded like Kermit the Frog. It's kind of fascinating. <laughs> and really, it was this voice inside of me that was concerned that the person that was in front of me had done absolutely nothing to earn the trust that I was placing in them. Not a shred of effort. Because how could they? We just met. <laughs> Moreover, this part also knew something that was a little bit vulnerable for me to get into a relationship, and that was that, well, that oversharing that I'm doing is probably making it hard for that person across from me to trust me. Oh, well, that was hard to take in. And it made others, it made it hard for others to trust me because I realized that, wow, when I'm doing this oversharing, I am really self-absorbed. Oh, oh, nobody likes that. Okay. So I was creating the opposite effect of what I wanted to do. I was pushing people away, even though I didn't realize it at the time. I thought that my oversharing was what being vulnerable meant. But in reality, it was just going like this to everyone. And then the universe, because the universe is the way that it is, and it likes to reflect back to us the ways that we are in the world. I went on another date, and this time the woman that I was on the date with did all the things that I was doing and talked for the entire time. I don't know when she had time to breathe. And, you know, 
bless her heart, um, she reminded me in that moment of what I had been doing because I found it hard to be in relationship with her. I found it hard to find a connection, uh, like a connection of trust with her. Because, I mean, I didn't even, I, I wanted to ask questions, but I didn't have a chance to. And I, I kind of didn't really need to by the end of it either because she had told me everything about herself. <laughs> so it took a few years of reflecting for me to kind of remember that day and to reflect back and realize that like, oh yeah, that's how I had been acting. And... I was confronted with this desire for me to be open and to be honest, to be self-disclosing, which I think are all good things, you know, in the right setting. But the way that I was doing it, doing it without first creating the bonds of trust, well, that wasn't working. That wasn't vulnerability. In fact, it was creating the opposite of vulnerability. I thought that I was being courageous when in reality, I was acting in a way that made it challenging for other people to actually know me, to trust me. And it made it challenging for me to trust others because I was wondering, why isn't this working? What am I doing wrong? And of course, way back in the back of my mind, the what am I doing wrong was turning into what's wrong with me. So I don't want us to stop being open and honest. I think those are good things. But what I'm realizing more and more is that the thing we've been talking about for the last four weeks, vulnerability, it cannot happen unless first we have created trust. And that trust, and this is how my process goes, I think of what is inner trust and outer trust. The inner trust where we trust ourselves and the outer trust where we create a safe space for others to be vulnerable, for us to be vulnerable with them. The truth is that that over-disclosing that I was doing, it was really just about me and my own insecurities. There was this part of me that thought, well, people can just take me as I am. If they don't like me, then, well, that's their problem. How many friends do you think I had with that attitude? <laughs> you know, I didn't think that I needed to do anything better to have better relationships. But what was happening was I wasn't creating room. I wasn't creating space for there to actually be dialogue and interaction. I wasn't creating an atmosphere of safety that would allow for vulnerability to naturally take place. I think oftentimes because we are in this vulnerability renaissance, as I like to call it, you were talking about vulnerability. A lot of the time, I think we need to, we, we believe that we have to make vulnerability happen like it's a thing that we're going to make happen. But the truth is that it's something that naturally comes forth when we have trust between one another. And what I'm learning more and more is the how. How? can I build trust with myself and how can I help others to feel safe around me? So today I'd like to share some of what I've learned and what I continue to learn. 
since I know that when we can be in relationship with trust, that that is what helps to create that atmosphere that allows us to be in a vulnerable situation, to be vulnerable with one another. So the first thing that I'm learning more and more about is how to build trust with those parts of myself that don't always feel safe. You heard about one of those parts, the overdiscloser. And this step, I think, is one of the very first steps that we can take to build more self-awareness with the goal of becoming more wise about trust as a practice in our daily lives. Because after all, if we don't have a trusting relationship with ourselves, then I think it's going to be hard for us to have trusting relationships with others, yeah? And what I found for myself was that when I check in with those parts that are maybe they're feeling scared, they're feeling frightened, that that starts to build trust within me. After all, each of these parts that's frightened, they usually have a good reason for being frightened. Even though they might be triggered by something in this situation that really is rooted all the way back to when I was a little kid. Oftentimes, these parts see some similarity in a vulnerable situation. And they forget that I'm not six years old anymore and that now I'm older and that I actually have the tools to deal with what's going on. So what I do to gain this trust, this understanding, is I have a conversation with them. First, I tap into that spiritual self that Dr. Edward was talking about last Sunday. And that's that core of our being that is by its default, it's loving, it's kind, it's generous, it's compassionate, it's gentle, and it knows how to listen. And once I have that energy, that energy of loving kindness that comes from being that spiritual self, then I can start to have a conversation with whatever part of me is feeling scared. And what I find is that oftentimes those frightened parts in me, they're kind of freaking out. (laughs) But something interesting happens when I start to listen to them. Even though they're freaking out, they're also so grateful that I'm actually actively taking the time to listen to them. Because for so often, those parts of ourselves that are frightened, well, I know I could ignore them. So that moment that I start to listen to them, they're like, oh, wait, he's listening now. Well, okay. (laughs) And I find that they have good reasons to be frightened, at least good reasons to them. And so I simply listen. This is we heard with our opening song from the band, Listen. I listen to hear what they have to say. And I try to see, can I put myself in their shoes? Can I understand why they're frightened? Can I understand where they're coming from and why they're trying to keep me safe right now? 
when I do this, sometimes I notice that maybe their fears are unwarranted. Maybe they're overreacting because something looks like it, but really there's no reason for them to be afraid. And if that's the case, then using that self-energy, that spiritual self-energy of loving kindness, I do what I can to say, hey, you know, that might have been frightening back then, but now, you know, I'm 41 years old. Did you know that? Oftentimes they don't. (laughs) And what if we approach the situation this way? How would you feel about that? Sometimes the fear that they have is actually rational. It's a rational fear that they have, but they might have blown it out of proportion, as so often I find that I can blow my fears out of proportion. And in that instance, I can do that same thing. I can just check in and say like, yeah, you know, that's a valid fear. I get where you're coming from with that. But it feels a little bit strong to me. And I'm wondering if there might be a way that we could move forward while also taking whatever precautions that you want me to take so that we can stay safe. Do you see how this is a more gentle way? to deal with those parts of us that are frightened, that are scared. So the more that I do this practice, and I try to do it daily, especially if I notice like a fear is coming up, I try and check in with that fear and see what's going on. The more I start to notice that I build distance between those fearful parts of myself and that spiritual self. Why is this distance important? Well, it's because my spiritual self, as we learned last week with Dr. Edwards' talk, that spiritual self already knows the best course of action. It's wise. It's compassionate. It's curious. It's all of those ideals that I think each of us try to bring forth into the world. And so when I build the trust with these parts of myself that are trying to protect me from harm, they relax. They become more willing to let me be led by that wise spiritual self. And then it becomes easier for me to know when it is okay for me to be vulnerable and when it might not be okay. It becomes easier for me to discern who is worthy of my trust, who has earned my trust, and discern who might not be there yet. Ooh, I love this quote. Author Stephen Covey says, Trust is the glue of life. It's the most essential ingredient in effective communication. It's the foundational principle that holds all relationships. I don't think that we can be authentic when vulnerable situations come up without trust. I don't think it's possible. And I don't think it's possible because those parts of ourselves that are just trying to keep us safe, they're not going to let their guard down 
until they feel safe. We all have these parts in our mind that they just want us to be safe and secure. That's all that they want. They're just looking out for our good. But until they feel safe enough to let their guard down, we're not going to be able to build trust. And that lack of trust means that we're not going to be able to be authentic when we're in relationship with others. In fact, it means we won't be able to be authentic when we're in relationship with ourselves. (laughs) Because all those defenses are still going to be up, we can't be vulnerable. Vulnerability asks us to lower our defenses. I have found over the years that tempting though it might be, and I've got lots of practice doing this, by the way, we can't ignore the parts of us that are asking for safety and security. Trust me, I've done it before. It does not work out well. This is how you get into trouble, (laughs) y'all. These parts, they're simply asking for us to establish trust before we enter into a situation that might be frightening and scary. And if we ignore these parts of ourselves, and what happens is they start to hunker down. And the next time we find ourselves in a frightening and vulnerable situation, that situation becomes doubly frightening and vulnerable. Because now that part that we didn't listen to that first time is screaming at the top of its lungs, telling us, trying to get our attention, saying like, danger, Will Robinson, danger. (laughs) What's even more interesting is how they can actually take us over. They can take over our actions, our way of being in the world without us even being aware Because they think, oh, I've got to take control here because otherwise Russ is going to get himself into trouble again. And they find really creative ways to do this, like oversharing. (laughs) In my case, sometimes they would choose that, oh, well, the oversharing is not working, so I'm just going to become a hermit and isolate. (laughs) And what's really fascinating about that one is that, well, I actually notice there's this comfort when that isolating part comes out. Like, oh, I feel so comfortable just sitting at home watching Netflix and playing guitar and not interacting with people. (laughs) But the problem with that is that in my heart, that spiritual self wants connection. And so, yes, I'm being comfortable to appease this part of myself that wants to isolate, but that larger self is not getting what it needs. And of course, when all of these defenses are coming up within me, well, they like to fight with each other too. (laughs) Because one thinks that one way is the right way to go and the other thinks that the other way is the right way to go and my spiritual self gets caught in the middle. Anyone ever have that happen? (laughs) Yeah. So, When I think of building that trust with those frightened parts of myself, I actually think of a real-world example of how um, people built trust with me. And it wasn't just in like um, a vulnerable situation where we might think that we're going to be emotionally vulnerable. This was like a, a, a situation where my safety, my physical safety was actually online. 
So um, how many of you have, uh, no, are aware of uh, Sonoma Canopy, Canopy Tours here in Sonoma County? Some of you might have done it. Yeah, a lot of you. Um, it's an awesome experience because you go zip lining over all of the redwoods here in Sonoma County. Now, because you're zip lining, you are something like a couple hundred feet up in the air. <laughs> and if you were to fall, you would die. <laughs> All of that was going through my mind the first time that I went ziplining last year um, with Sonoma Canopy Tours. Now, what I really appreciate about them, though, is that not only were our guides amazing in the fact that they knew all of the safety things that they needed to check with us and they made sure all of our harnesses were tight and were properly attached and all that stuff that, you know, needs to happen for us to be able to go up there and not fall to our doom— but they did it in a way that not only were we safe, but they helped us to feel safe. And that was so powerful because in creating that bond of trust with us, and it's fascinating how well they did this because they didn't have a lot of time to do it. You know, we're, we're ziplining for maybe two hours and they've got like 15 minutes to go through this guide well, they created that feeling of safety. And because our group had that feeling of safety, that feeling of trust with our guides, instead of going out there and feeling like, oh, I hope everything holds together and I don't fall to my death, I could focus on, wow, this is amazing. I'm going 40 miles an hour above all these beautiful redwoods. What an amazing day. This is the best thing ever. You see what trust did here. We can do that with our inner world. We can build that kind of trust with the parts within us by helping them to feel safe. And if you're wondering how you can do more of that, I invite you to join me at our Wednesday evening service that's coming up this week too, because we're going to do a bit of a deeper dive on that. We unfortunately don't have enough time to do that today as much as I would love to take us through that process. So, okay, that's inner trust. That's the first step. But what about being out in the world, right? That's why we're doing this work, so that we can be out in the world. Well, because this is something that I still continue to work on with myself. I'm still, I'm always getting better with that trust muscle. I thought, okay, I want to go and find somebody who looks like they're an expert in this. And recently, I came across a documentary that was made by a uh, Muslim Norwegian filmmaker named Dia Khan. And she's brown-skinned. And in 2017, she did an interview with the BBC about multiculturalism. And she was in favor of multiculturalism. She felt that's the direction that the world is going. And after that interview aired, she was shocked because she started to receive death threats, lots of death threats, because her interview went viral on the internet. And all of these death threats were coming from self-professed self white supremacists, neo-Nazis. And for a little bit there, she didn't quite take it seriously. She thought people were just being people, but the police were telling her, no, you, you need to be careful. These are serious threats, and I would actually be wary of walking in front of windows because you might get shot. 
And it was at that moment that she had a choice that she could make. She could hide, hope that it all blows over, or she could do what she did, which was make another documentary. And so she traveled over to here, the United States, and she did this remarkable thing. She sought out the people who had sent those horrible, horrible messages to her, and she interviewed them. And she interviewed them because she wanted, she knew in her heart of hearts that each of us has humanity, even though it might get covered up by our weird ways of being in the world. And so she does these interviews and she starts doing these interviews. Remarkably, she actually gets, you know, some of these neo-Nazi organizations, these um, white supremacist organizations to actually allow her to interview them, which is a miracle in in and of itself. But what I found so fascinating about this is the way that she conducted the interviews. She listened more than she spoke. For me, I think it would be very easy for me to go off on all of the reasons why I think that they're wrong. But first she listened. And she focused on that listening more than she spoke on her speaking. Now, she didn't stay quiet. She asks questions, and oftentimes these questions, by the admission of the interviewees, are actually really deep. Things that they hadn't thought about before. And she does advocate for her own rights. But her demeanor through this whole process is so gentle. And throughout this documentary, the impression that I get of Dia Khan is that she is this incredibly safe person to be around. That feeling of safety that she creates by the way that she is in the world actually allowed these white supremacists, these neo-Nazis to actually open up to her, to build bonds of trust with her. And what's even more fascinating about this process that she does is that well, they actually start to like her. And they start to trust her. Some of them even start to think of her as a friend. Wow. And this is a person who, by their own creed, they are supposed to hate. In fact, after this documentary aired she found out that three of the interviewees quit the organizations that they had been a part of. And these were people who were high-ranking in these organizations that had been with them for years and years and years. And they quit because they couldn't reconcile the fact that they actually liked her, that they felt that she was a friend. They saw her humanity. They could not reconcile that with what they were told to believe. And so they stopped. At the end of the day, I think that they stopped fearing her. 
Now, I want to be clear. I'm not advocating for us to all go out and start talking to violent neo-Nazi and white supremacist organizations. That feels very unsafe to me. My parts get really freaked out when I start thinking about that. That takes so much courage, so much courage. And I'm sure that Dia Khan took precautions to ensure that she could be as safe as possible. Remember, this woman received death threats before she did this, so I would hope that she was taking some precautions. But she was able to create that opening through her way of being, through her way of being a safe and loving presence for her to share with them the negative impact that their actions had on her and people like her. She was able to do that because she took the time to make sure that that connection of trust was there first. They were more willing to listen to her because she was willing to listen to them. Even though she was clear that she disagreed with just about everything that they had to say. She was able to build that trust by being gentle and by listening and by authentically sharing the impact that their actions had on her. And I think she was able to do this because of that core assumption that there is humanity to be found in all of us. And that humanity is what can connect us. Once that connection's established, that's when we can share from the heart. And in Dia Khan's case, her interviewees were able to actually hear her, despite all of the hateful things that they believed about people who looked like her, who who followed her faith tradition. But first, she needed to help them because she was the one who was able to be in that place. They weren't. She was able to be in that presence, though, through self-awareness, through being her spiritual self. Because she was the one who had to help them feel safe. I know that sounds so backwards, right? It feels so backwards. But I look at this and I look at the outcome. I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. (laughs) So just as we have to help those fearful parts within us, because we, our spiritual self is the one that's capable of helping them to feel safe. That's also what we can do in the world with each other to create trust. When we can be that presence of safety when we can be that presence of security through kindness and love and gentleness. So this is how I'm learning more and more to cultivate trust in my life. First, it begins by learning to trust myself, especially those parts of myself that feel like they're frightened, that they're ignored. And then it means sharing this inner trust with the world led by my wise spiritual self, which is able to come out after building trust with all of those frightened parts. And it comes out in a way that's kind, that's gentle, that's curious, that's willing to listen, even though I know I might not agree with what I'm going to hear. 
I'm hopeful that because our world seems to be in the midst of this vulnerability renaissance, that that means that we're ready to look at how as a society globally, we've grown apart through our distrust of one another. And I think because we're able to see that now, I know I'm able to see it, that we can see how it's not working. And that means that we can choose something else. We can choose to bring in just a little bit, just a little bit of that faith that I saw Dia Khan showing. That faith with ourselves and trusting and building trust with the parts within us as well as building trust with those around us. And I know that in so doing, that's how we find the power and the possibility that comes from creating more authentic, trusting, loving, vulnerable relationships with one another. And so I'm going to leave us with this quote before we go into the prayer. And it comes from uh, Johann Wolfgang von Gethe. As soon as you trust yourself, you will know how to live. So let's take that into prayer. How good it is to be in the atmosphere of trust, the atmosphere of trust that can be the only atmosphere that this divine one that is the source of all provides. I know that this divine one is wholeness, that it is unconditional love that it is oneness. And I know that through these qualities, trust makes it known through our unity with it and with each other. That the wholeness, the unconditional love, the oneness that is this divine one, it is in us too. It is that source from which we come and it is that which informs all that we do in the world. And so that is what I call forth here and now. I call forth an atmosphere of safety, an atmosphere of trust. I call forth that spiritual wise self in the core of each one of us, knowing that that self has the wisdom, the clarity, the vision, the intelligence to know where we should place our trust and where we would be better off maybe taking a step back and pausing. I know that that spiritual self knows that trust takes time and nevertheless is willing to move forward to create that atmosphere of safety so that we can better trust one another. I call that forth for each of us now, knowing and opening in my heart and knowing that as my heart opens, so too does this divine heart open just a little bit more. And I invite that heart opening within each and every one of us so that we may be in relationship with ourselves, be in relationship with those parts of ourselves that might be frightened and know that in being in relationship, we are creating trust. And so I call that trust forth. I call it forth for each and every one of us. And I call forth that spiritual self and all the wisdom that it has to lend, knowing that good is here now. And so I am grateful for this. And with my gratitude, I release this word into the action of that law that always says yes. And together we say, and so it is.